Welcome to So Says Rick. Mostly True Stories by Rick Hall. Hi there, I'm Rick Hall. And I'm Laura Hall. Welcome back to our 13th episode. Wow. It's getting near Halloween. Am I getting superstitious? That lucky number 13, maybe? Or unlucky. No, it's lucky. (laughs) So let's tell people what we're going to do on this episode and get right to the story. Yes. So if you haven't listened to the last two episodes yet, go back and listen to them, 11 and 12, because this is the continuation and the final episode of the Slice of Pie audiobook. Yes. We can call it that. Yeah. And then afterwards, I'm going to call up my buddy Tim Reischauer, who directed the movie of Slice of Pie, and we're going to talk uh, to him. He'll be our first guest on the show. That's very exciting. But with that thought in mind, Laura, you don't need to hang around for all of this. You don't need to listen to Tim and I talk. All right, then. See you later. I'm not firing you. <laughs> come back. You've got a new sidekick? No, no. So come back afterwards, and we'll close the show, okay? Don't, okay. Don't go too far away. Okay. So here it is, the final chapters of Slice of Pie. Chapter 4. As his pickup truck bounced down the lane, Carter became acutely aware of what a bucket of bolts it had become. Everything rattled. Luckily, didn't seem to bother Juanita. At the end of the lane, his truck gave one last lurch onto the gravel road. In the rearview mirror, Carter could see the dust from another car about a half a mile behind him. He had just broken one of the rules of the gravel road. You don't pull out onto a dusty country road in front of somebody. You wait for them to pass, then you eat their dust, not vice versa. Carter gunned it to put some distance between himself and the car he had offended. When Carter and Juanita got to the Methodist church, he parked in the back of the lot against the wall. It was dark there, and he was not in the mood to explain to everyone why he and his date had a dead dog wrapped in a blanket in the back of his truck. (laughs) When Carter walked in the fellowship hall with Juanita, heads turned and conversation stopped. Carter had grown up in this church, so everyone there was like family, nosy and meddling. Carter felt their eyes on Juanita and him as they walked through that room, towards the kitchen, through the kitchen, out the back door, and into the alley. Once there, he said, Juanita, I don't really like ham and beans that much. You want to go to the IHOP in Carlinville? That sounds good. I like those Rudy Tooty fresh and fruity pancakes. (laughs) But you know what? I need to use the ladies' room before we leave. They snuck back in the side door where there was less chance of running into anyone, and each one headed to their gender-appropriate bathroom. Juanita opened the door, but before she went in, she turned to Carter and said, Race ya! Then she jumped inside. (laughs) In the men's room, Carter stood in front of the mirror and splashed some water on his face. He was not used to this much excitement, but he had to smile, thinking about the twists and turns this evening had taken so far. He was lost in his thoughts until he heard the sounds of someone rustling behind him in the stall door opening, and there stood James Reno. Hey, James. Hey, Carter. Juanita here? Uh, yeah, she's in the little girl's room. James lowered his voice to a whisper. Carter, something happened tonight. I want to tell you about it, but you got to promise not to say anything to Juanita. Okay. I ran over Juanita's dog tonight. 
I was driving past her place, and some jerk kicked up so much dust in front of me, I didn't see the old mutt, and I hit him. Is he dead? Carter asked. It wasn't a trick question. At this point, Carter would not have been surprised to see Bert's zombie corpse run into the men's room, pee on the trash can, and exit through the concrete wall. Dead as a doornail, but I took care of him. Carter's mind was working so hard he thought his hair might catch on fire. How had James run over Bert? The poor old dog must have fallen out of the back of his truck when Carter gunned it on the gravel road. Then James came along and hit him. Yeah, okay, that made sense. But what did James do with the dog after he hit him? Before Carter had a chance to find out, Juanita pounded on the bathroom door and said, I win, come on out, slowpoke. James motioned for Carter to leave, and then he jumped back into the stall to hide. Carter composed himself and opened the door. Juanita greeted him with a girlish smile. I didn't mean to rush you. It's just that my brother and I always used to say ratio before we went to the bathroom, and he always won, because I'm a girl. Oh, I guess I get a little carried away with my victory. No, no, it's okay. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. Can we go to IHOP now? I am starving. Back in the parking lot, Carter opened the truck door for Juanita. She took it as a gentlemanly gesture, but he really wanted a reason to walk behind the truck and see if the dog had actually fallen out. And even though it was dark, he could see the blanket Bert had been wrapped in was flat. Now the question was, what had James done with Bert? Chapter 5. As they drove to Carlinville, Juanita started telling stories about fun times she'd had with Bert, and Carter told a few about Taffy. At the IHOP, Carter parked in a dark corner of the lot so Juanita wouldn't notice there was no dead dog in the back. He started to get out until Juanita put her hand on his arm. Let's bury Bert tonight. No, no, not tonight. Juanita gave him a hurt look. He hadn't thought about how that sounded. He just reacted. No, you see, I, I want to bury him close to Taffy, and I won't be able to tell where Taffy is in the dark, and it'd be a shame to dig up old Taffy trying to bury Bert. <laughs> Besides, Juanita, you need some time to mourn before the funeral. <laughs> You're right. We'll give him a proper burial tomorrow. Carter was getting better at handling tough situations without a nap. <laughs> Even though it was 8.30 at night, they both ordered breakfast. And after their dinner of breakfast, they ordered pie. Because as Carter said, when pie is good, life is good. <laughs> Carter found it so easy to talk to Juanita that they gabbed for an hour and a half. And when it came time to pay the bill, Carter didn't know how much to tip. Tip too little, you look cheap. Tip too much, and your date will think you're flirting with a waitress. <laughs> He asked Juanita's professional advice. Well, we kept her table for a long time, and she brought about a gallon of decaf, so tip big. Carter left the gal a $5 bill. Juanita said, Ooh, that decaf is going through me. I'll be right back. And she headed to the bathroom. Carter started to duck in the men's room, too, but he turned to Juanita first and said, Hey, race you. They both jumped into their semi-unpleasant bathrooms. He considered letting her win, but he didn't want her to think he had some weird bathroom habits, so he, hur 
hurried things along and came on out, went straight to her bathroom door, knocked on it, and said, Hurry up, slowpoke. The door opened, and an ancient woman using a walker emerged. She gave Carter a look that almost cut him in two and said, Use the men's room, mister. He was speechless. As the door slowly closed, he could hear Juanita from inside trying to stifle a laugh. Carter decided to wait in the truck. When Juanita climbed in a couple minutes later, she tried to keep herself composed, but she couldn't. She laughed so hard she would have peed her pants if she hadn't just gone. It took a few miles for Carter to enjoy the joke. As he neared Juanita's farm, Carter got quiet. He was thinking about how to deal with the possibility of Bert turning up. Carter clicked the headlights to dim as they drove up the lane. He didn't want to illuminate the area any more than necessary. Finally, he stopped in front of Juanita's house. No sign of Bert. James must have buried the body somewhere. Well, that's okay, because he could call James tomorrow and dig up Bert in time to clean him up before they buried him again. Carter began to relax until he realized that he was alone with a beautiful woman in the dark cab of a pickup. Juanita felt it too, and she fell silent. After an ice age or two had passed, she finally said, Well, I guess we should call it an evening. I'm opening the diner tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I, I got a busy day too. He stumbled behind her in the dark up the porch steps. Juanita reached inside and clicked on the light. Even in the yellow glow of the bug bulb... Juanita looked beautiful. <laughs> he knew, he knew now was the time to kiss her or just leave. And the kiss is the litmus test of any good first date. It's the moment when both parties find out whether it was a good date or not. And if it was a good date, was it good enough to warrant a second date? Looking into her eyes was starting to make Carter blush, so he glanced away. And that's when he saw him. Over her shoulder, on the corner of the porch, was a pile of old blankets that Bert had claimed as his bed when he was still alive, and now dead Bert was laying there. <laughs> they had walked right by him in the dark, but with the light on, there he was, clear as day. That idiot, James Reno, had put Bert on the blankets and arranged him like he was just napping, uh, assuming Juanita would think he just passed away in his sleep. Juanita noticed Carter's focus changed and turned to see what he was looking at, and as a reflex, Carter put his hand on her shoulder to keep her from turning around. She mistook it as a clumsy attempt at romance, and Juanita Stribe laid a kiss on Carter that took his breath away. <laughs> when they finally pulled apart, they were both dizzy from the lack of oxygen. Well, I better go now, Carter mumbled. You better get while the getting is good, fella. Well, good night, Juanita. Juanita said, except for Bert dying, it was a good night, wasn't it? Sure was. We should, uh, we should maybe do it again sometime. No maybes about it. Carter leaned over and gave Juanita a civilized kiss on the cheek. Juanita said, I'm going to go inside now. It almost sounded like an invitation, but he turned to leave just to be safe. Carter headed down the steps as she closed the front door, and when he passed by Bert, he glanced back to make sure she wasn't watching, scooped up the dog, and gently laid him in the front seat of his truck. As he drove home with Bert next to him, he thought, 
Life is like pie. It's almost always good. And even an average pie, better than no pie at all. Listening to those chapters again brings back such a flood of memories. And one of my favorite memories of that time was when my friend Tim Reischauer said, we need to go make those chapters into a movie. And so I thought, you know what? I'll just call Tim and we'll do a little phone patch here into the studio and we'll talk about it. Take a little trip down memory lane together. I'm sure the recording quality won't be perfect, but it'll be great to talk to Tim again. Here we go. Tim, are you there? I'm here, sir. How are you doing, Mr. Rick? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. <laughs> so do you remember what we were doing 12 years ago, right about now? I do. I think we were about to embark on traveling cross-country with a van full of equipment that we were bringing from L.A. Right. Uh, a, a, a dog. A fake dog, right, yeah. which uh, my mom actually said, oh, that was a real dog. <laughs> <laughs> It was great uh, coming cross country, and we picked up some more uh, equipment in St. Louis and uh, headed to the the farmland of uh, Illinois. Right. Hey, now the episode or the chapter we just listened to was the actual ham and bean dinner, which was a remarkable shoot. I don't think I told you, Tim, when the First Baptist Church, where we shot this in the fellowship hall, uh, when they were looking for a new minister, they wanted to give the minister a taste of their church, you know, like what what the people were like. <laughs> so they showed him the movie. That's that's awesome. There was a real wonderful Christian fellowship there. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, the people were genuinely having fun. When I told the folks at the church that we wanted to have a fake ham and bean dinner down in the fellowship hall, the women from the church said, Right. Oh, we could never get a group of Baptists together and not feed them. Right, right. And so they made a ham and bean dinner for us with a bunch of pies and everything. It was great. Oh, it was perfect. It yeah. was perfect. And they were probably, out of all the sets that I've worked on and worked with background actors, they were so uh, troopers. They were pros. Uh, they were pros because we, it was, a, I remember, it was a Monday night. And we went till 9.30 or 10, and everybody hung in there for three or four hours. It was amazing. Yeah, they, was, they were great. They were great. I just know that every reaction that we needed, we got, especially when Juanita and Carter walk in. It was awesome. That's right. Hey, and my friend Mike Patton, he ended up having a line in the film, and you, uh, you directed. <laughs> that would probably be the only time you direct Mike Patton in a film. That's right. I mean, here it was like uh, maybe either it was a couple of days before that we were out shooting the shot of uh, Carter driving on the road. All of a sudden, we see uh, a four wheeler coming down with a guy in in his uh, camouflage. We're like, "What's going on here?" Then the closer you get, we see that there was a, a dead deer on the front of his four wheeler, and uh, that's something you don't see on every set. No, no. And uh, actually, I believe Mike said, how's your shooting going today? Well, mine went great. <laughs> <laughs> the crew looked at us like, what the heck was that? That's right. Some of them were uh, recent graduates from Webster College. 
And uh, they had not been that far on the farm before. Right. So then after that, then we went and shot at the Olive Branch restaurant. And uh, Nick opened up his restaurant to us. He's got his own place now. The Pancake House in Jerseyville is Nick's. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, it is that's great. That's awesome. Everybody was so loving, and they opened their hearts, and they opened their houses when we went to dinner. They opened their uh, businesses. I would love to go back and shoot more there. And the actors that we worked with, you know, like Wit and uh, Liz and Donna and Mimi, they were good supporting characters. How about Betty Carrico? She had one line in the Olive Branch restaurant, and she I, I personally think she stole the movie from all the, all the oh, other people. Oh, she did. And it's in the trailer as well. So even if you haven't seen the movie, you know that line, and everybody gets a good chuckle from it. Rick, it was such a wonderfully written script that it, it kind of shot itself. I know I was the director, and I helped produce it, and we did a lot of things together. It was quite a collaboration, but I'm telling you what, it, it comes to life of the movie, but it, it was alive before uh, I even got my hands on it. So. Wow. You're my first guest on the show, and after complimenting me that much, maybe you'll come back again as a guest. Yes. I have to say, buddy, when we did the audio recording, which I just played for the uh, podcast, you came up to me afterwards, and I don't know if you remember what you said, but you said something along the lines of, Rick, that Slice of Pie series of stories has to be a movie. We're going to go to your farm in November and shoot it. I didn't have a script, and I was like, oh, come on, Tim. And you said, I'm not joking. Write the film script, and we're going to go shoot it. And you're the guy that got it done, man. Thank you. I tell you what, it, 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 I think that was May when you actually recorded that. Mm -hmm. And by, by June, we were already scouting. The St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase was about then and uh, made some more connections. Finally, we were able to go back, and it just kind of fell into place. And I tell you what, the weather could have been better. I know that it can be kind of crazy that, uh, this time of year, but it, it was about 65, 70 degrees. And literally, the last day that we were shooting, I said, guys, that's a wrap. And it started to drizzle. Yes, it did. And then it, and then it began to rain heavily. I've been doing this for 35 years, and it was probably my favorite uh, film shooting experience I've ever been on, partly because it was my project, but partly because you and I created it together, and it was with, yeah. a, with a bunch of loving people. Now, you're down in Alabama with a banjo on your knee, I believe. Something like that. Okay. Did you, uh, didn't you just finish a film down there? I did. I, I'm working with a talented writer uh, as well on a film called Once a Hero. And it's a, it's a little bit more dramatic. And it's a feature film. And it's about a Navy SEAL. And it was actually written and acted by a real Navy SEAL. But it's mostly a drama about people trying to get by. And uh, it's, a, it's a cool little script. So would we be able to see this, Tim? Is it going to be out? Well, we have an agent, and uh, a lot of it's under wraps right now. And when that happens, I'll definitely uh, let you know so you can let the folks on the podcast know. It's, it's going to be a, a very nice little piece. When you say under wraps, you don't mean it's wrapped. You mean it's on the hush-hush. It's on the it's on the download. Hush, hush. Okay, good, good. Hey, Tim, it's really good to talk to you. And like I said, you're my first guest on So Says Rick. So I uh, I give you I'm that. Honored. I'm glad you're honored. Thanks for coming on, man. It's good to talk to you. All right. Uh, big, uh, big hello to everybody there. God Have bless you, you, man. Take care. Bye-bye.
Wow, you and Tim just finish each other's sentences. Yeah, we're like an old married couple. But you know what? That made us good at doing the movie together because we were on the same page all the time. And that's important. You know what? We have mentioned off and on the actors that played the characters. Let's run through the cast list for everybody just so they know. Absolutely. From L.A., we got Kelly McLeod, who played Juanita, and David Atkinson was our narrator. Then we cast several people out of St. Louis. You wanna... Right, like Whit Reichert. Right. He played the owner of the seed company. Donna Weinstein. Played my mom. Tim Grimm. Is our buddy from Indiana who played James Reno. Mimi Wolf. And she played the waitress at the Olive Branch. And Elizabeth Grace. Who played Heather, the one with the metal interface, at the flour mill. I also was able to use several local people, all my friends, in smaller roles. Brenda Reif, Mike Patton, Andy Stumpf, and, of course, Betty Carrico, who had one line and pretty much stole the movie. (laughs) She did. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, there's the post-production, the most important part, really. Well, from your perspective, yes. (laughs) Spoken as a person who does post-production. Exactly. Uh, Norm McLeod, which is Kelly's husband, he did all the dialogue and sound editing. My buddy Kevin Connolly, God bless him, did all the editing. Toby Burney was our director of photography. He went there, shot everything with us. We I lived with a guy for two weeks. What a great guy. And then, speaking of living with somebody, I actually live with the musical director and composer, Laura Hall. <laughs> Thank you for your work, honey. It's good. You're welcome. It was a fun project to work on. Right. And this was kind of a neat little experiment to do So Says Rick as these stories. Mm -hmm. And actually, our next episode, we're going to do something different again. Yes, we're actually going to tell a story together. It may jeopardize our marriage, but we'll tell a story together. (laughs) I'm sure it will be fine. That's right. So tune in for the next episode. Until then, bye-bye. We'll see you then.